This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Parsha Shmini. So it's the parsha of the uh, kosher animals. The Torah tells us there's certain types of animals that we may eat, certain types of animals we're not allowed to eat. And the Torah actually gives us the simanim, that in order for an animal to be considered kosher, it has to have two criteria, it has to uh, have two um, qualifications. And that is, it has to be mafrise parsa, it has to have split hooves, and it has to be male gerot, it has to chew its cup. These are the two qualifications of kosher animals. Now if you look at the precise word usage of the Torah, we'll notice something that is uh, absolutely astounding. That is, if you look in Parsha Shmini, this week's Parsha, Parakir Aleph, Pasuk Gimel, Koyal Mafreshes Parsa, Vishoysas Shesa Prasois, anything that has completely split hooves, Malas Gera Babahema, and it chews its cud, Oysa Toichelu, that's what you could eat. Okay, so, not very complicated, doesn't have to have the, you know, ten different Hachshirim, all it has to do is chew its cud, and have split hooves. And very interestingly, the Torah enumerates for us four animals that only have one simon. In other words, there are many, many animals that chew their cud and have split hooves. Sheep, a cow, a goat, they chew their cud and they, and they have split hooves. There are many, many animals that have neither. They don't chew their cud and they don't have split hooves. And the Torah enumerates for us four animals that only have one simon. Three animals that chew their cud and don't have split hooves, and one animal that has split hooves, and doesn't chew its cud. So the Torah says, look in Pasuk Dalet, The following four animals don't eat, because they only have one simon. Okay? And then the Torah enumerates for us three animals, that chew their cud, and don't have split hooves. Es hagamal, what's the gamal? Camel. Camel. Because the camel chews its cud, but it doesn't have split hooves. Very interesting. When the Torah speaks about the hooves of the camel, the Torah writes, mafris. What does the word mafris mean? <coughs> now, let's talk about the, um, the tense of the word mafris. Is it past tense, present tense, or future tense? The word mafris. What tense is it? Right? We know in Hebrew, words are written Pat could be in past, could be present, or could be in future. What is the word mafris? The word mafris is present tense. It presently does not have split hoof. Okay, so far so good. Ufarsa einenu mafris. Okay, we move on to the next animal. Vies hashafan. What's the shafan? Rabbit. Hair. Hyrax. Whatever that is. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's an animal. Kimale gerahu. It chews its cud. Ufarsa loi. Yafris. It doesn't say like it says by the Gamal, Ufarsa Einenu Mafris. It says Ufarsa La Yafris. What does La Yafris mean? Future tense. It will not have split hooves. Very interesting. It almost sounds like it does have split hooves, but it will not in the future have split hooves. Ufarsa La Yafris. Future tense. Then we move on to the Arneves. Yes, right? Talmai's wife. What was her name? Arneves, right? That's why in the uh, Septuagint, when they translated the Torah into the 70 languages, they had a problem with the word Arneves because that was the name of the wife of the king, Talmai, who commissioned the translation of the Torah. The Arneves, the 
hair, that may not be the correct translation, but for our purposes, the hair, kimalas gerahi, it chews its cud, ufarsa loy, hefrisa. It doesn't have split hooves. What tense is hefrisa? Past tense. What's going on over here? When we talk about the camel, it's present. Ufarsa inenu mafris. When it talks about the shafan, it's future tense. Ufarsa loy, yafris. When it talks about the arneves, it's past tense. Ufarsa loy, hefrisa. Past tense. How do we understand that? And why does the Torah break up these three animals into three separate psukim? We could have combined all three animals in one pasuk, and the Torah could have wrote, don't eat any of these three animals because they chew their cud, but they don't have split hooves. Why does each one of these animals deserve their own pasuk? We know the Torah is very concise, the Torah is very brief, There's no extra, there are no extra words in the Torah, there are no extra letters in the Torah. Why give so much real estate to each animal? I mean, no one even heard of these animals. You probably never even saw a shafan. Right? If you went to the zoo, you wouldn't know a shafan if it hit you over the face. And here the Torah gives a lot of real estate to each animal. The gamal has its own pus. The shafan has its own pus. The arneves has its own pus. And for each one, the Torah uses a different tense. By the, by the gamal, ufarsa inenu, mafris. By the shafan, ufarsa loy, yafris. By the arneves, ufarsa loy hifrisa. Very interesting. Let's, moving on. To our favorite animal. What about the chazir? Yes, ha chazir. Oh, what about the pig? So that we know the pig has split hooves. <coughs> parsu. But does it chew its cud? No. lo yigar. Very interesting. When it talks about chewing its cud, what does it tell you, right? It doesn't have, doesn't chew its cud in the future tense. So how do we understand this? Each one of these four animals gets its own pasuk. When it comes to the gamal, it's present tense. When it comes to the shafan, it's future tense. When it comes to the arneves, it's past tense. And when we talk about the pig and its ability to chew its cud, right, you know what it means to chew your cud? Right? You eat the food, you send it down into the stomach, that stomach sends it to another stomach, the second stomach sends it back to a third stomach, and then that stomach... Sends it back up, right? And you chew it again. Right? Imagine, you know, tomorrow night your wife says, I'm not serving you supper. You'll have what you had last night again, right? You'll do, right? It's called do over, right? Try again. If it wasn't good the second, first time, you know, maybe it, get, it gets better. So that, that's the, um, so the pig, it says, It will not chew its cut in the future tense. Okay. Now, we know there is another place in the Torah where the Torah talks about the animals that are not kosher, and that is in Mishnah Torah, in Sefer Devarim, in Parshas Re'eh. If you uh, take a look in your Chamashim, in Parshas Re'eh, Perak Yedalid, Pasuk Zayin. And there, in Parshas Re'eh, Perak Yedalid, Pasuk Zayin, the Torah does what we would have liked it to do in this week's Parsha. And that is the Torah joins together the Gamal, the Arneves, and the Shafan in one Pasuk. Take a look in your Chamashim in Parshas Re'eh, page 1012. It says, What does that mean? They chew their cud. 
Hifrisu, past tense. So now we're clumping them, we're joining them all together in one pasuk. And when it comes to talking about their hooves, it's in past tense. Not like it did in Parshashmini. In Parshashmini, the Gamal was present tense. The Arneves was future. The, right? The Shafan was future. The Arneves was past. In Parshashray, we join them all together, and it's all past tense. You know, all these animals, they lost their real estate. They lost their real estate. And then in Pasuk Hay, Pasuk Ches, when we talk about the pig, Be'es ha-chazir, ki ma'fris parsahu, it doesn't say v'geira lo'yigar future tense, it says v'loy geira, it does not chew its cud, present tense. Very odd. Pasha Shmini, every animal has its own Pasuk. When it comes to the tenses, every animal has a different tense. Parshas Re'e, we take the <coughs> Gamal, we take the Shafan, we take the Anevis, we combine them all into one Pasuk, and we say, La they did not chew their cut in the past. In Parshas Shmini, when we talk about the Chazer, it will not chew its cut. In Parshas Re'e, when we talk about the Chazer, it does not presently chew their cut. So how do we understand all of this? So we have an amazing explanation from somebody by the name of Rav Mordechai Gimpel Yaffe. Rav Mordechai Gimpel Yaffe lived from 1820 to 1891. His father, Rav Doiv Ber Yaffe, was one of the greatest of all the Tamidim of Rav Chaim Velazhner. And Rav Mordechai Gimpel Yaffe was a Rav in Europe, and at the end of his life, he was one of the first of the, uh, of the Rabbanim who moved to Eretz Yisrael, Besaif Yamav. Very interesting, at the age of 20, the Mordechai Gimpel Yafa wrote a sefer on the Sechta Hayriyos called the Elef Hamagim. And he writes the following. He says, the Medrash tells us that what is the significance that these four animals are, as far as we know and as far as the Torah tells us, these are the only four animals that only have one simon. Right? Either animals chew their cut and have split hooks, or they don't chew their cut and they don't have split hooks. The Torah only tells us about four animals. The Torah is not claiming these are the only four animals. But the Torah says and only tells us about four animals that either chew their cud and don't have split hooves or have split hooves and don't chew their cud. What is the significance of these four animals? Says the Medrash Rabbah, Vayikra Perkir Gimel, that we know that throughout our history, Klal Yisrael traveled through and suffered through Dalid Malchios, right? Four empires, four kingdoms, four Galusim, four exiles, right? We know Klai saw throughout our history, they suffered through four exiles. What were the four exiles? We know Malchus Babel, Babylonia, Madai, the Medians, pa- Yavan, the Greeks, and Edom, Rome. Okay. These four empires are represented by four types of animals. The camel, says the Medrash Rabbah, is Babel, Babylonia. They're the camel. The Shafan is Madai, Media. Who is the king of Madai? Kairesh. 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 Right? The Gemara Rosh Hashanah says Kairesh. How about Arneves? Who is the hair represented by? Greece. Yavan. That's why the king of uh, the Greeks, his wife's name was Arneves. She's represented by Arnevis. And finally, the pig represents Edom, Rome. Why does the pig represent Rome? Right? If you look in Sefer Tehillim, Yichar Semena Chazir Miyar, 
that Edom, that Esav is represented by the pig. One of the reasons given, the Chsam Seifer explains, that, you know, every animal has a neck. Right? Every animal has a head, has a body, and has a neck that contains that um, connects the head to the body. There's one nation that doesn't need a neck. What do I mean that it doesn't need a neck? We know every nation has a certain malach, has a certain angel, that from that angel, that nation nourishes and, and nurses its strength from. In other words, every one of the 70 nations has a certain sar, has a certain ministering angel, from which it gets its nourishment from. It needs to connect to the angel. However, Esav doesn't need to connect to its angel because who's the angel of Esav? The Samach Mem, the Kayach Atuma itself, the Malach Hamavis itself. Esav and its angel are so interconnected that Esav doesn't need a neck. Esav and the angel of death are like one entity, like the pig. You look at a pig, a pig is a head and a body with no neck. It's the only animal without a neck. So Esav has so much Tumah, Fish is not an animal. Right? Um, but um, a good point. But a fish is not an animal. The only animal that doesn't have a neck is the pig. The pig... The snake is also not an animal. It's an amphibian. Right? So the... The, the pig is the only animal. You got a head. You have a body. And the two are connected as one. Okay. Very interesting. So says the Mordechai Gimbal Yafa. The camel is Babel. Camel is Babel. The Shafan is Madai. The Arneves is Yavan. Edom is the Chazer. Edom is a pig. So let's talk about it. Very interesting. When it comes to Babel, what does the Gemara tell, tell us about Babylonia in terms of their relationship with the Jewish people? They were bad from beginning to end. They had no good moments. They had no signs of kashras. There was nothing redeeming about the Babylonians. They were rotten from beginning to end. From the time Nebuchadnezzar exiled the Jewish people, the first thing he did was, he took the young boys, he murdered them in the Valley of Dura. And throughout his brutal empire, all he did was he killed Jews. He tried to kill Hanani Mishal Azariah. He tried to kill Daniel. He tried to kill the entire Jewish people by having them bow down to the Tselem. Right, as we learned in Sefer Daniel. So there is nothing redeeming, or no redeeming qualities about Babel. And therefore, when it comes to the camel, it says, Ufarsa Einenu Mafris, present tense. Its signs of Tumah are constant, are unwavering, are unending, they're continuous, they're never ending. It's present tense. Ufarsa Einenu Mafris. The signs of Tumah of the Babylonians are always very interesting. That's why when it comes to the Gamal, it says, Ufarsa, Einenu, Mafris. Moving on, we come to the Shafan. The Shafan represents Malchus Madai. Who is the king of Madai? Says the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, King Kairish. The Gemara tells us, Kairish was a good guy. He started off like as a good guy. He allowed, he commissioned, right, the building of Beis HaMikdash. Right? So Kairish was a good guy at first. But says the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Kairish Melach Kasher Haya Vehichmitz. Kairish went sour. So he started off good, he became bad. So when we talk about the signs of Tumah, of Madai, it's Ufarsa La Yafris. They become bad in the future. They start off with signs of Kashros. They start off like good guys. But Ufarsa La Yafris, they're 
hooves are not split in the end, in the future, toward the end of their empire. That's why when it talks about the Shafan, it's Ufasala Yafris. What about Yavan? Ah, oh, Yavan. What would you say about Yavan? So says the Murchai Gimpel Yafe. When we talk about the Arneves, so the Gemara tells us that Yavan, in the beginning of their reign, they made many decrees on Klai Yisrael. They said, no Shabbos, no Mila, no Rosh Chaydash, right? They put a halt to the Avod and the And in the end, the Jewish people made peace with Yavan. So their signs of Tumah were in the beginning. They turned, right? They, they became good in the end. That's why their signs of Tumah were past tense. Ufarsa loy hefrisa. So says the Mordechai Gimpel Yafa, now we understand why when it comes to the camel who represents Bavel, it's Ufarsa'in and Amafris, present tense. When it comes to the Shafan that represents Madai, it's Ufarsa'in and Amafris, future tense. When it comes to the Arneves, the Arneves is Yavan, Yavan is Ufarsa'in and past tense. Now let's talk about the pig. Why, when it talks about the pig, does it use a future tense? Does it says, It will not chew its cud. So for this we come to the big principle of the Ramban. Ramban tells us something very important. And that is, Ramban tells us that there is a fundamental difference between Sefer Vayikra and Sefer Devar. What's the difference between Vayikra and Devar? Vayikra contains in it an allusion to everything that will happen to the Jewish people in the times of the first Beis HaMikdash. Devarim contains in it everything that will happen to the Jewish people in the times of the second Beis HaMikdash. So Vayikra is Vayis Rishon, Devarim is Vayis Sheni. So says Mordechai Gimpel Yafa, in Sefer Vayikra, which has in it an allusion to all the occurrences that happened to the Jewish people in the times of the first place of Mikdash. Did Edom even crop up yet in the times of the first place of Mikdash? No. Edom did not rise to power yet. Edom was a non-entity in the times of the first place of Mikdash. So therefore in Sefer Vayikra, Edom was something that had not yet come. So when it talks about the pig in Sefer Vayikra, it says, In the future it doesn't chew its cud. Because no one ever heard of Edom. In Sefer Vayikra, it's something that's in the far-off future. Says <coughs> Mordechai Gimpel Yafe. Now turn in your Chumashim to Parshas Re'ei. Parshas Re'ei is what Sefer Devarim. Sefer Devarim is a remez to everything that occurred to Klai in the times of the Bayasheni, the Second Temple era. In the time of the Second Temple era, which one of the empires wasn't wasn't full force? Rome, Edom, Babel. Long gone, past. Madai, long gone. Yavan, Greece, long gone. So all the camel, the Shafan, the Arneves, their ancient history, their signs of Tumah, were all in the past. They're all non-entities. So you know what the Torah does? The Torah takes all three of them. The Torah takes the camel, the Torah takes the hyrax, the Torah takes the hair, it groups them together in one Pasuk, and it categorically says, Ufarsa lo all three of those guys, they're all in the past. The Babylonians, the Medians, the Greeks, they're all long gone, they're all past tense. 
That's why they don't get their own pasuk. In Sefer Vayikra, when, they, when, when we're dealing with them presently, because Vayikra is an allusion to what happens during Bayashani, all these three empires were at full force during Bayash Rishain. So therefore, they each get their own real estate. They each get their own pasuk. The Gamal, the Shafan, and the Arnevas. But when you go to Devarim, Devarim is about Bayashani. When times of Bayashani, so then Babel, Madai, and Yavan is all ancient history. They're all grouped together in one Pasuk. And it says about the three of them, Ufarsa, Lahifrisa. But when we talk about the Chazir, and the Chazir is Edoim. And during in Sefer Devarim, we're dealing with what occurs during Bayashani. We're dealing with Edoim. What does it say about the Chazir? Veloi Geira. It presently does not chew its cut. Amazing. Absolutely astounding. Where you have the various nuances of language that the Torah uses for all the different animals corresponds perfectly, perfectly to the history of the time that corresponds to that Sefer. Vayikra is corresponds to Bayis Rishon. Bayis Rishon, Bavel was present. Madai was future. And uh, Yavan was past. And the pig was the future. But coming to Sefer Devarim, the Gamal, the Arneves, the Shafan, they're all past history, they're all lumped together in one Pasuk, and the Chazir is present, and therefore it says Veloy Geira. Okay, that's an amazing explanation of Rav Mordechai Gimpel Yath. Okay, we move on to something very interesting. Our favorite animal, the Chazir, the pig. Right? And uh, I'm sure you'll be glad to know that, you know, that's a very strange name the pig has. You know, in, in English, pig, you know, we, we feel it matches. You know, that's the appropriate name for this animal. But, chazir, you know, what did the, what did your mashkiach tell you? He comes, you know, you're in the yeshiva, you're not really learning. The mashkiach says, no, why don't you learn? You say, oh, no, I already know it. So what does he say? Chazir. 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 What does he want you to do? Go eat, uh, you know, ham and egg? What does he want? He wants you to review. So where did the, the pig get its name from? I mean, does it have something to do with chazara? So actually it does. It has a lot to do with Chazar. Because the Medrash tells us that in the future, the pig is going to have a big comeback. It's going to have a comeback. What does it mean? It's going to be kosher. You hear this? Now, now it's not. No, no, no excuses. You can't, don't think, you know, it will become kosher. One day, Mashiach comes, the pig will be kosher again. Okay, you heard it here first. One day... The Chazir is going to have a comeback. It's going to return. It's going to be restored to its uh, previous status. Okay? So, the question is, that all the Achorinim raise, is that we are all believers in the Torah. And one of the Yudgimelech, one of the 13 principles of faith, is Torah Zuloi Tehei Mochlefes. This Torah will never be changed. There are no updates there will be no additions. Nothing is going to be altered about the Torah. So if the Torah says that you can't eat the pig because it doesn't chew its cud, so then how will there ever be a day that the pig will be kosher? I mean, the Torah says we don't have, we don't have, uh, we don't make innovations. We don't have, we don't make any changes. Right? Chadash is awesome in our Torah. So how can we say, how can the Medrash tell us that one day the pig will be kosher? How do we understand this? So, Supposedly, the Chafetz Chaim derived from here a very interesting thing. And that is, if I were to ask you, we know for an animal to be kosher, it has to chew its cud, and it has to have split hooks. 
What do we call these two criteria? We call them simanim. Simanim. Signs. The Chafetz Chaim wanted to know, are these signs really simanim? Is it a simin? Or is it a siba? Now what does that mean? What's the difference between a simin and a siba? A simin is, it's merely symptomatic and it reflects the fact that the animal is kosher. It's not what makes the animal kosher. It's merely symptomatic of the fact that the animal is kosher. Or do we say more? No, these are not merely simanim. They're not symptomatic of the fact that the animal is kosher. That is what makes the animal kosher. I'll give you an example. You know, let's say someone's not feeling well. Yeah? You take his temperature. He has 103 and a half. Does that make him sick? No. No, let's say he would take a Tylenol and the fever goes down to 98.6. So now he's not sick anymore? He's still sick. It's just the fever is symptomatic of the illness. It's just a sign that he's sick. And even if the sign is not present, he's still sick. The, the fever is not what makes him sick. Right? There are certain things in this world that are not what the... That's not the cause. It's merely the... It's merely what's reflective of what it is. Okay? So what we want to know, Rabbi Isai, is are these signs, the fact that an animal chews its cut and has split hooves, does that make it kosher? Or is that merely a sign that the animal is kosher? So, Chafetz Chaim said, we learn from... We learn from this Chazal that says that one day the pig will be kosher, that these are not merely signs that the animal are kosher, but rather it's more inherent than that. That is what makes the animal kosher. Because the only possible way for the pig to ever become kosher is what has to happen. The pig has to have split hooves and has to chew its cud. So you say, who cares if the pig starts to chew its cud? That's merely reflective of its kashra status. But what's, what good is that going to do for us? We know what the status of the pig is. The pig, the Torah says, is trafe. So how is it going to help us that the pig will begin to chew its cud? Who cares what the pig does? A, a pig is a pig is a pig. Says the Chafetz Chaim, it must be that these are not merely signs, these are not merely symptomatic of the kosher status of the animal, that is what makes the animal kosher and not kosher. So if the animal now has foot hooves and chews its cud, it is now kosher. I'll give you a very uh, interesting analogy that Rabbi Khan Vasserman, Shem Yimkam Dhamma, he gives a, a similar anal- analogy. The Gemara tells us, how do you know when it's night outside? How do you know when it's night? So, Gemara says, say Sakrachavim, when the stars come out. So Rabbi Hanan wants to know, the stars coming out, does that make it night? Or is that merely a symptomatic of the fact that it's night? Are the stars cause the Lila? Is that what makes it nighttime? Or is it that that's how we can detect that it's in fact night? So you'll ask, what's the Nafkamina? Who cares? Oh, it makes a very big nafkamina. You know what the nafkamina is? Three stars. No, but the question is, are three stars make a night? Or is it symptomatic of the fact that it's night? So, very interesting. We know a similar question. What, how old does a person have to be to be considered no longer a minor in halacha? To be considered a gadal? No, there's no age. Midday You have to have two years. 
You have to have shtei saros. Yeah. What's the halacha if two adim come and testify about one hair, and another two adim come and testify about another hair? So now we have witnesses that they're two hairs. But on the other on the other uh, vein, another way of looking at it, there is a klal davar v'leichatzi davar. You can't have adim come and testify about. A half a matter. So if two of them come and testify about one here, and another two of them come and testify about another here, each witness is testifying on a half an item. So, Rabbi Hanan says like this. If two, what would be if you weren't sure if it was nighttime or not? And two of them came and said, I saw us one star in the right side of the sky. Two of them came and said, I saw another star on the left side of the sky. And a third set of witnesses came and said, we saw a star in the middle of the sky. Is that valid testimony? Or do we say, it's a chatsi davar? You have two Adam on one star, two Adam on a second star, two Adam on a third star. So, says Rabbi Hanan Basarman, it depends whether stars make it night or stars are merely symptomatic of the fact that it is night. If the stars make it the night, so then you have two Adam on one star, that's a half a thing. You have two Adam on another star, that's a half a thing. But if stars are merely symptomatic of the fact that it's night, so then Rabbi Hanan says, if you have two Adam on one star, two Adam on another star, that would be considered valid testimony. Okay, so that's a similar chakira that Rabbi Hanan Basarman has. By the way, Rabbi Hanan concludes, very interestingly, stars do not make it night. Stars are merely symptomatic of the night. What's the proof? Says Rabbi because God created stars on the fourth day of creation. And on the first and second and third day of creation, it still says, there's morning and evening. That means you can have halachic night without stars. So stars are merely symptomatic. By the way, Rav Shlomo Haiman, in a letter to Rabbi Hanan, disagreed with that proof that Rabbi Hanan brought. Okay, but this is all a side point. The Chafetz Chaim concluded that the kosher symbols, the chewing their cud, having split hooves, are merely simanim. They're signs. They are not the siba. They are not what causes the animal to be kosher. Rebbe Chanan Vasserman himself disagreed with the Chafetz Chaim about this. Rebbe Chanan Vasserman said, these simanim, are they a simon or a siba? It's a machloikes tanoim, Rebbe Chanan said. Between Rabbanon and Rab Shimon. Okay? And the Rambam in the Mar Nevuchim disagrees with both of them. And the Rambam writes in the Mar Nevuchim, very interesting, that these are merely simonim. They are merely symptomatic of the fact that the animal is kosher. So you have Chafetz Chaim saying that these kosher symbols are what we call siba. That is what inherently makes the animal kosher. The Rambam writes in the Mar Nevuchim, if you want to look it up, in Chela Gimel, Simen Memches, the Rambam writes, it's quoted in number 9 on your sheets, that these are merely symptomatic of the fact that the animals come. Okay. We continue on. Let's talk a little bit about the birds. <coughs> we know the Torah does not give us any simanim of how do you know if a bird is kosher or treif? Torah doesn't say anything. Torah doesn't say, you know, you know, and I don't only eat a bird if it has the plumba on it, right? Torah doesn't say anything. However, all the Torah does is it lists 20 birds that you're not allowed to eat. Everything else is kosher. 
However, the Rishonim tell us that even though the Chumash does not give us any Simanim, there is a great simon to know if a bird is kosher or treif. And that is Ramban tells us, look at number three. Ramban is in Perkid Aleph, Paskid Gimel. The Ramban says, the Hasimen Hagadol, the Oifais, he Hadrisa. You know how you know if an animal, a bird is kosher or treif? A bird that is doires is tame. What is drisa? Drisa is if it pounces on its prey. A bird of prey. A bird that pounces on its prey, that is a sure simon that the animal is tame. Says Ramban, why? Just because the bird pounces on its prey, why can't you eat the bird? So Ramban tells us, a bird that pounces on its prey, says Ramban on the second line, Damai mechumam, its blood is hot. Yusai, because of its cruelty. The shachar, its blood is black. The gas, its blood is thick. And if you eat it, you're gonna become cruel. You're gonna have boiling hot blood. You're gonna have black, thick, heavy, gross, cruel blood. It gives, says Ramban, benoisein achzariyus belay. It causes you to be cruel. So therefore, says Ramban, even though the Torah doesn't tell us which birds you can and cannot eat, the simon to know if the bird is treif, if the bird pounces on its tray, on its prey, you can't eat it. Says Vilna Gain. Let's think for a moment. What kind of bird could you not eat? A bird that pounces on its prey. So that we understand. That's very logical. It has a rationale. The rationale is the bird that has a cruel nature that pounces on its prey, if you're going to eat it, there are the grass sets forth for us, you know, a very important rule. And the rule is, you are what you eat. Whatever nature the animal had, whatever characteristics, whatever temperament the animal that you eat has, you're going to become like that animal. So says the grass, I understand why we can't eat a bird that pounces on its prey. But what is the concept of having split hooves and chewing its cut? Why is that so critical? Why is that so important? How, how do we understand the deeper meaning? What is the, what are the characteristics of an animal that chews its cud and has split hooks? Says the Vilna Gain. We know how many mitzvahs are there in the Torah? 613. There are 10 mitzvahs in the Torah that we, are not more important than other mitzvahs, but nevertheless they contain in them an allusion to all 613 mitzvahs. Which 10 mitzvahs contain in it an allusion to all 613? Aser And of all the Aser Sadebrais, which Dibra contains in it an allusion to the other nine? The last one. Loisachmoid. Says the Vilna Gain. If someone were to ask you, sum up the whole Torah into one lav. Right? If someone were to ask you right now, stand up, and give me one laugh that sums up the whole Torah. So we would say, you know, don't deny God, don't speak lesson. No. Loi sachmoid, don't desire. Says the Vilna Gain. The root of all evil, the root of all Avera, the root of all sin, the root of all hate, the root of all Averais stems from loi sachmoid, illicit desire. Not being satisfied with what God has presented to you in this world. Hashem gave you a certain situation, a certain family, a certain matzav, a certain station in life. And all Avera, says the Vilna Gain, stems from the fact that the person wants to leave his boundaries, wants to take more for himself. 
So the whole Torah is contained in Loisachma. It says the Gro, you don't have to take my word for it. That's what the Navi Chavakuk told us. Right? The Gemara tells us. There was a man by the name of Chavakuk. You know, they were trying to narrow the Torah down to, uh, you know, to its most basic principle. You know, somebody came along and was able to narrow it down, narrow it down to 13. Someone else was able to further narrow it down to 3. Chavako came along, he narrows down the whole Torah to one principle. The tzaddik, the emunah, the tzaddik lives with emunah. What does it mean to live with emunah? To be satisfied with your lot in life. To be mistapik. It's called the midah of histapkos. Being satisfied. Says the Vilna Gaim. How do we know if an animal is mistapik with what it has? You know how we know? If it eats a piece of grass for dinner, and then the next morning for breakfast, guess what it, guess what it eats for breakfast? While all the other animals are going to faraway pastures, the cow says, let's try supper again. So it chews its dinner, and it sends it to the second stomach and the third stomach, and it says, you know what? That's breakfast. I'll eat the same thing for breakfast. And then when dinner comes the next night, he says, let's try last night's dinner. And a week could go by, he's still eating the same food. Is there any greater demonstration of the midah of histapkos than an animal that chews its cut? It's constantly regurgitating and redigesting and recomposing and re-bringing up, bringing back and bringing up and down and up and down. The same meal. There's no greater demonstration of being self-satisfied. And what about the characteristic of split hooves? Says the Vilna Gain. What good does it do an animal that its hooves are split? I mean, says the Gra, the lion doesn't have split hooves. You know why? Because it got to, it's on the move. It's got to, it has to travel. It has to pounce on its prey. An animal that has split hooves is very much hampered in where and how it could travel. And most animals that have split hooves, you know where they eat? Right where they are. They don't move. How could they move? Imagine if your, your leg was cut in half. Right? They're domesticated. The split hoof chewing their cud, says Avilna Gain, is exactly parallel to the midah of Drisa and a bird. In other words, bottom line, what does God want us to eat? The animals that are satisfied with the, that which is put immediately in front of them. Hashem gave this cow, this Dalit al-Damad, this four by four cubit area, this space in life, it doesn't move. It sits in the same spot the whole day. The tail goes back and forth and back and forth, right? For days and weeks, it's in the same spot. It's the same grass, no ketchup, no mustard, nothing else. The same grass in the same spot, right? So next time when we say next week we're having Carlos and Gabby's, we mean this week's Carlos and Gabby's, right? You know? That's the Nida of Histapkos, says the Gra. The Rebunisham understands that a person is what he eats, right? We are what we eat. And the most important Nida in the eyes of Hashem is Amuna, which is understood to mean Histapkos, being satisfied. And how do we see that Nida played out in the animals? A bird that pounces, goodbye, can't eat it. An animal that can't chew its cut, has to always eat it more and here and there and there, it's out. An animal that has to continuously go to greener pastures, it's out. The Yibbam says, the midah that we're looking for, the midah we want to inculcate and, and have a Jew imbibe, is the midah of Amuna, the midah of Histapkos. Okay. Archaim HaKadosh tells us something very interesting. 
He tells us about a guy, he says, you can see sometimes, you see a Yid, you see a Jew, one day, he's a fine Yid. He's davening with Kavana, he's learning with Hasnada, he's a Tzaddik, he's acting properly. And the next day, you don't know what happened to the guy. He's like a Russia Marusha. How did he change so quickly? How did, where did this transformation come from? Says the Rechaim HaKadosh. Don't wonder about such a thing. You know how a person could transform so abruptly, so quickly? It all depends on what you eat. And the Rechaim HaKadosh tells us, you know, aside from the fact that food could either be kosher or treif, there are many various levels of impropriety in food. Sometimes you could eat even kosher food. But if it didn't have the proper hashkacha, or the proper certification, sometimes besides in a food being treif, you can have, you know, souls, right? Souls and food, neshamos. You can have a guy who is reincarnated into this world, into your dinner. And because your dinner does not have the proper kasha certification, you're going to end up eating this guy. And that guy was some, you know, mashugana. And that's what you're about to become when you eat dinner. Says Arachayim HaKadosh. So says Arachayim HaKadosh. If you want to monitor the mood swings of a person, all you have to find out is what he's eating. A person... So we would say, well, you know, you see somebody who is normal. And the next day he became a little, you know, confused. We would say he forgot to take his meds. So the Arachayim HaKadosh, no. What he ate was not kosher. Now kosher could mean... It was treif. Didn't have the proper kosher certification. He went to a restaurant but didn't have a proper mashkiach. He can't just eat anything. So says our Chaim Hakadosh. We're very important that David Amelch says, "Lasos with like God, I want to do Your will, but you know what it depends on? The tayraschah b'seich meyai. It depends what I put in my stomach." If a person is careful, says Arachayim HaKadosh, that everything he puts into his body, everything that goes into the system, is pure and kosher, he could rest assured that his desires and his yearnings and his inclinations will be for God's Torah. That is why Arachayim HaKadosh says that from the time that Adam Arishon ate from the Eitz Hadas, a lot of uh, cloudiness and tumah entered food in general. That is why Archaim HaKadosh tells us in the name of the Ariza that even kosher food, so you eat, a, you eat um, a banana, the peel, the peel is the chilek hara, the bad part of what Adam Arishon caused to enter food, the, the shell, the chaff of wheat, all of these things, or even kosher foods. The Rechaim HaKadosh writes on that result, the reason why we're now to eat fruits for the first three years, all food has certain parts to it that could be very detrimental. And this all goes under the general category of um, foods that we should, that are off limits and should be avoided. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to briefly discuss a very interesting halachic issue that's raised by the Chassam Soifer in the Shal Sechubas Chassam Soifer in Chelek Arachayim Simen Pegim. And the Chassam Soifer discusses the following case. Nebuch, he had an orphan boy. And um, the family understood that this child, Loyaleinu Nebuch, unfortunately, he was a barshatya. What does it mean he was a barshatya? He was mentally challenged. Loyaleinu, the child had severe mental problems. And the family wanted to send the boy to an institution. 
where in this institution they would be able to teach the child critical life skills and important, um, they would be able to train the child and hopefully after many, many years they would be able to allow the child to reach a degree of normalcy. The only problem is, Rabbi Isai, this institution served tray food. So the question is, is a family permitted to send this child to the institution where they would not be actively feeding the child uh, tray food? The, the workers and the institution would be, tra- would be um, feeding the child tray food. Says Aksam Seifer, to feed a child actively, be a dayim, even though the child is considered a shaita, you can't do it. You can't actively feed the child treif. But here you're not actively feeding the child treif. You're giving them over to this institution. They are not Jewish. They are going to be serving the child treif. Says It's permitted to send a child to an institution where they're going to be serving treif food to the child. However, concludes Aksam Seifer, even though, technically speaking, it's permitted, he says three lines from him, Nirul Aniyas Daiti Me Ikar Hadin. This is all according to the letter of the law. Umi Kalmakim, nevertheless, Heidu Kadmoinenuzal. Our early authorities teach us. Shalyadei Maachalois Asurois Benaros. If a child consumes treif when he's young, Metamtim Alev. It clouds the heart. And it causes him to have a bad nature. Says the Chsam Soifer, my recommendation is, Better the child not go to the institution, remain a shaita, remain challenged, mentally retarded his entire life. And the Chsam Soifer doesn't conclude, but we know what the conclusion is. If he's going to eat a piece of ham, we know what his end is going to be. He's going to end up a Russia. So if he's going to end up a Russia, better to be a fool one's whole life and have no chance of ever pulling out of this illness than to go to the institution and end up being normal one day as a Russia before God. So the Chsam Sefer says, halachically, it's mutter, don't do it. Better to remain a shaita than to one day be normal as a Russia. So Chsam Soifer is, uh, has very broad shoulders. He's taking this very, very far. Chsam Soifer understands that even feeding a child tray food in a situation where you have no other way to rectify the child's problem and the child is not mechuyim in mitzvahs and you're not feeding it to them and it's the only way the child will ever be normal and ever be able to daven or put on tefillin or do any mitzvah his whole life is by going to this institution when he's young, eating treif, says Chsam Sefer, better never to keep a Shabbos in your life than to eat one time a piece of tarfus and end up being a Russia. Do we paskin like this? Says Rav Moshe Feinstein, one qualification on the words of the Chsam Sefer. The Chsam Sefer is talking about a case where by sending the child to the institution, there is some hope that the child will become normal one day. So says the Chsam Sefer in a case where by sending the child to the institution, there's a possibility of the child becoming normal. You have to be worried the child will become normal. And then all the tarfus it ate when it was a child will contribute it 
contribute to making the child a rasha at the end of its life when it's mechuyiv in mitzvahs, when it's normal. But says of Moshe Feinstein, what if you have a child, Leolenu, who is mentally disabled with no hope of ever being cured? So this child will never be in a situation its whole life that it will be obligated in mitzvahs. In that type of situation, Mechsam Seifer never said you can't send the child to an institution. In that type of situation, the child would be, you'd be permitted to send the child to an institution where they feed the child trace. Aye, but that will cause the child to act inappropriately when it's older because of the trace. So what? It will never reach the stage. This child is, um, is, there's no remedy for the child's illness. So the Chassam Seifer was talking about a limited situation where a child is, wants to be sent to an institution where in this institution they could actually help the child at, uh, attain a certain degree of normalcy. In that case, unless they're going to serve the child kosher food, you can't send the child there. But if it's a child, Layalenu, who is mentally disabled with no reasonable hope of cure, of cure what guarantees that? Ah, so says Moshe, does that mean that a parent who sends a child to a place that they serve trace is being meyayesh from Hashem making a miracle and curing the child? Says Moshe, no. Because if Hashem will choose to make a miracle, Hashem will only make a miracle if Hashem is certain that this trace food that was served to the child will not have any um, bad effects on the child. Says Ramesh Hashem will not perform a miracle for someone if later on in life the food that they were served that was trace will cause them to do Averas. So, uh, so says Ramesh, if there's no reasonable chance that the child can have recovery, the parent could send them to an institution that doesn't serve kosher. Aye, what happens if a miracle happens? Says Ramesh, God will perform the miracle in the correct way. You don't have to worry. Once Hashem is making miracles, He'll make sure the miracle happens in the best possible way. But if there is a reasonable chance the child could have some kind of cure in this hospital, the Chassam Seifer's sack stands, parent cannot send even a child to a place where even they're not actively feeding, even though it's other people. Nevertheless, says the Chassam Seifer, Mutav Sheyikare Adam Shaitekal, Mutav Sheyashaitekal Yamav, Vayikra Rasha Sha'ach Asafnei Hamakayim. Let us conclude with the words of the Chassam Seifer himself. You know, so we're learning, Rabbi Sai, that the food that a person eats has a very powerful and potent effect on them to the point where Chassam Seifer even tells us that a food that a person may have eaten as a child can continue to affect them even much later on in life. So sometimes it's a little bit uh, demoralizing do we know exactly all the food we may have eaten? Can we always be so certain? You know, but says Achsam Seifer, a Jew always has the possibility of tshuva. And we know that when a, when a person, when a Jew does tshuva me'ava, when a Jew does tshuva out of love, out of avas Hashem, so all the averos one may have committed turns into mitzvahs. So says Achsam Seifer, if someone once ate something that was treif or was not kosher and they do tshuva says Achsam Soifer you know what that food turns into it turns into the achila of the carbon Pesach in Yerushalayim so even though Bizman Azeh we no longer have achilas Pesach in Yerushalayim nevertheless as we learn Parsha Shmini it uh, encourages us to be very much on guard that we have to be very careful what we put into our system and it also reminds us that we have the opportunity that anything we may have put into our system 
we could retroactively correct and transform into something, a matter of Dover Shabbat Welcome everybody back. Thank you everyone for coming. Have a wonderful evening. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.